Let's pray together before we start this message here. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. And as we look at your word, we pray that your presence would continue to linger here and uh, open our hearts to receive from you today and to respond to your word that we may uh, walk in obedience to you, we ask in your name. Amen. Um, I think at the end of this message, I'll, I'll probably, I don't know if worship team, if you guys are around, but I'll probably invite you to come back up. And I think um, there's a room for us to respond uh, to to the call of, of this passage this morning. And so I'm going to just invite you to be praying about that as we walk through the text and then think about responding uh, to what Jesus would have for us. This week I've been uh, waiting for some papers to come back, uh, working on, on a course. And uh, it's been a while since I was in school, and so I'm having to kind of get adjusted again to what writing's supposed to look like and sound like. And uh, kind of interested to get that evaluated and see, you know, how it, how it turns out. And I was thinking about how many of us have been there. Some of you are still in school. Some of you school was a ways away, and you're very thankful for that. And, uh, but I'm sure almost all of us can remember taking tests. And when you have a test coming, it often makes you respond in some way. Sometimes you prepare for the test. Sometimes you ignore the fact that the test is coming. But the presence of the future test will have some bearing on the present. Or perhaps you might think of a workplace situation where you, you know you're going to be evaluated. And that has some bearing on how you go about your work that week. Knowing what's coming influences what you choose to do today. And Mark Howell, who's writing about First Thessalonians and this passage, he says... A coming evaluation always serves as the best means for present motivation. Knowing that an evaluation is coming is the best sort of motivation. And when we get to this passage, we read about the future. We read about God's plans for the future. In Hebrews, God tells us that he uh, keeps a detailed record of our lives. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And perhaps the most striking thing is not that God keeps track of what we do and is aware of what we do, but God actually holds us accountable for our actions. Uh, Sarah's doing some reading about uh, childhood behaviors. And one of the common themes in kids is their ability to blame and avoid. And any parent knows this is true. Kids don't need to be taught this, right? We can easily blame another person or just avoid the situation altogether. And that reaction of not wanting to be accountable, right, goes all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve respond to God confronting them with their sin by blaming each other and trying to avoid responsibility, not unlike children. In fact, not unlike a lot of us as adults either. It can be hard to admit our mistakes. But God tells us that he does hold us accountable for our actions. And so we're responsible in how we're to live our lives. And that brings us to really the central point or theme of this passage this morning, that God's word about tomorrow influences 
how we're called to live today. Knowing what's coming regarding the future affects, or is meant to at least, affect our lives here in the present. So let's look again at, at this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.13. And with that Hebrews passage, and even with Acts 17, maybe ringing in our imaginations, Acts 17 says, God has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, the one who can judge, which is Jesus. So this passage starts off with a, a warning to Christians about Jesus' return. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 again. And he says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, we've just come out of talking about the, the coming of the Lord. Concerning these times and seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you. It's like Paul realizes if we were to get too caught up in specific dates and date finding uh, figures in mind, we would spend, the church would spend a lot of time just sitting around trying to figure out when Jesus is supposed to return. And I think actually there's folks who probably do sit around and, and seemingly, according to Paul, kind of waste their time doing that. Because the point of Jesus' return is not to unlock some secret mystery about a date. The point of Jesus' return is to prompt us to live faithfully for him, knowing he's coming. That knowing that future is happening has an impact on how we live today. Just like that evaluation or that test affects how we live for today, knowing that Jesus is coming, and he does hold us to account, calls me to live in a particular way for today. And so Paul says, I don't need to write about times and seasons because that's not the point. The point is that knowing he's coming, live in light of that. Live in light of the fact that he'll return. So the specifics aren't important, but what is important? He says, it's coming suddenly. Look at verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's the idea of the suddenness. You don't expect the thief to come, but suddenly there's one there, meaning it'll catch people unawares Jesus' return. Then look at verse 3. It says, well, people are saying there's peace and security. Suddenly destruction will come upon them. And it's almost like the judgment of God or God's holding people to account for their lives is in contrast to people who just assume that their own efforts can bring about a, a sort of peace or a utopia in our time. Those that would have such a trust in a human's ability to lead and to set society right, who say, look at all we've done. Look at the peace and the security that we've accomplished. Those who are trusting in themselves will be in for a shock when they realize that God has come to judge his world judge the living and the dead. And God will come to free his world from corruption. And that will mean the undoing of human systems which seek to glorify man over God. But note also the, the metaphor that Paul uses here. I think it's really fitting. He says, the sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains. This is verse 3. Come upon a pregnant woman. And so this, this idea of the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes, though it's a downfall of human systems and there's destruction and there's, there's um, elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about those who are against God are like, whoa, who can stand when God shows up? Who can stand? And yet Paul uses 
a specific example to talk about the sort of pain that will happen. It's like labor pain. And we've had four kids, so I'm aware of the suddenness of labor pain when it comes. And it comes suddenly. You can be ready for when you think the baby might come, and then there's when the baby does come. And it might not be when you think. It's sudden. But labor pains, unlike other sorts of pains, labor pains give way to life. Labor pains are not just pain in and of themselves. Labor pains are in anticipation of new life. And Paul says, when you think of the day of the Lord, yes, it will come suddenly like labor pains come. But the day of the Lord gives way not just pain because God's wrathful and he's destructive. No, no, it's God's good justice, which will be painful for some, but it is meant to give way to new life. And so when Jesus comes, it's not just about, you know, all his sort of wrathful destruction or that sort of thing, but it's a pain in the moment which gives way to the goodness of God and his plans for us and for his world. They could be horrible in the moment, labor pains, but they give way to joy and beauty and life. So if that's the future, Paul sets that up verse, verses 1 to 3, right? That's the future that's coming. And then he shifts gears and he says, here's how you should live then. How are you prompted to live? Look at verse 4. He says, but you're not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're not living in the sense that God's not going to come. You're not living not realizing that God holds us to account. You're aware of that. It's not going to surprise you. Look at verse 5. He says, uh, you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not in the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. What does that mean? It's almost this idea that because we know God's plans and we know that Jesus is coming, we're, we've stepped out of one kingdom into another kingdom. Like we've stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the two, the two qualities that Paul uses to describe people in darkness is sleep and drunkenness in a sense, right? Like they're, they're not sober. Sleepfulness and drunkenness. And sleepfulness is about like not being aware of what's going on, right? And drunkenness is about not is about your own sort of self-absorption like you're turned inward on yourself um, that you're s sort of self uh, self-absorbed or ignorant you're drunk you're, you're you think of Mo uh, noah right and it talks about how people were so caught up in their ways and there's drunkenness like literal drunkenness but it's because they're so turned inward and so so far from god that they're they're thinking only of satisfying their own desires and their own vices. And so in contrast to that, Paul says, we're called to live differently. We're called to live separately, like people living in the light instead of living in darkness. And instead of, instead of living in the powers of, of Babylon or the power of, of evil world systems that are shown all throughout the Bible, the way of the Christian is in contrast to the way of evil and, and darkness and power through power's sake. And instead, we're called to live a sort of self-giving life of humility and love and grace, which is modeled on the life of Jesus, right? 
This is the way that Jesus showed us to live as he goes to the cross. And so as we're aware of the future that's coming, what sort of characteristics then are meant to mark our lives? And Paul talks about two or three. Look at verse 8. He says, since we belong in the day, let's be sober. And what does being sober mean? It means putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is kind of like the armor of God, but just like kind of slightly differently, right? Slightly differently. We put on faith, love, and salvation. And we can do that because we know that when Jesus comes, we're not destined for wrath. We're destined for his life and for his salvation. And look at verse 10. He says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. Then verse 10, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, meaning whether we're dead or alive, when he comes, we will live with him. And so encourage each other with this hope. Encourage each other knowing that Jesus is coming and that we can live in light of that. So kind of three things that really get pointed out. The first thing, again, if you look back at your Bible, verses 1 to 3 are like this call to remember that the future is coming, that Jesus is coming, God's going to account for our lives. And then verses 4 to 8 is like a response to live in light of that, to live soberly and with faith and with love. And then verses 9 to 11 are like the promise of what's going to happen when Jesus shows up, that there's going to be deliverance from sin, from wrath, and from discouragement all through Jesus. So that's our passage. Now in light of all of that, that's what it means. How do we live that out, right? What are the implications of that for us? And I want to say a couple things for us as individuals and then say uh, for us as a church, as a community, what, what would that look like? The first thing I think for individuals, and it's, I mean, this is quite straightforward. This is nothing, nothing amazing, um, is that a day of judgment is going to come. The day of the Lord will come, and we can live in light of that and live our lives for Jesus, or we can choose to ignore it. Just like I've, I know there's papers coming due. I can write those papers and live in response to the fact that the papers are coming due, or I can ignore it. I have that choice, but there's consequences for my choice, right? Paul says, God doesn't appoint us for wrath, but we're called into salvation through Jesus. All of us are called into salvation through Jesus. And that, that invitation is for each and every one. And so a real question for us this morning is really to say, well, in light of that future, how have you chosen to go? Will you throw your lot in with those who want to ignore that God exists and that he will come back? Or will you throw your lot in with those who say, yes, he is coming, but I choose to trust and follow and obey him. And because of that, I'm not destined for wrath. I'm destined for salvation. So it's really a question of choosing life or choosing death, right? So often in the Psalms, there's a call to blessing or to cursing, to life or to death. And we can choose that by walking in the light. And so what, is, what does it mean to choose Jesus and to choose salvation? It means to put on faith and love and hope. That's what it means to live as citizens of heaven. Living in anticipation of that future life and goodness that God wants to bring and then extending that invitation to everyone around us. Um, I have a short clip that I want to play, and this was from last week at Reframe. We were talking about, about uh, responding to God's salvation, and there's this great clip 
This is uh, Professor Rick Watts, and he's talking about living in anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth. And it fits so well with this passage because Paul's talking, calling the church to live in response of what's going to happen in the future. And so this passage uh, is very short, just Rick talking about uh, the call that we have as Christians to live in light of God's coming kingdom. Are you guys ready with that? Okay, go for it. on to anger with people or being worried about all the possible things that could go wrong. Jesus' holiness is a way of invitation, right? We beheld his glory and it was full of grace and truth. Grace that says, neither do I condemn you. And the truth that says, now go and sin no more. So what does that mean for us then as a church? If our call is to live in light of that future kingdom. Well, I think it means partly that we live up to our name as a full gospel. In light of that, all I really think we need to say is that uh, we want to live out the fullness of the faith, hope, and love that Jesus calls us to. The fullness of his kingdom. Living out that salvation and inviting others to experience the abundant life of the Spirit. And I know we don't always get that right. I know that. But I think that should be our prayer as a church. I invite you to make that our prayer as a church, that the life of God would rub off on us and rub off on other people. Because God's word about tomorrow influences how we live for today. And knowing that good future that God has for us should call us to want to invite others into that life as well. And so my prayer is that when we encounter people, and whether it's in church, which is sometimes the most difficult place to try and live this out, or whether it's in the coffee shops or in your workplace or at school or wherever it might be, that when we encounter people, we remember this is someone made in the image of God. This is someone for whom Christ died to redeem. I may have issues with them, but can I, by the grace of God, extend his life to them? to be a people keeper. Uh, I found this prayer, and I think it's, it's fitting for us. And so I'd like to, I'd like to pray two prayers here. And, and worship team, if you're able, do you guys mind coming back up, Steve, and, and maybe just leading us in a song? Because I think it would be appropriate for us to respond um, to the call here in this passage to... Invite God to fill us afresh with his life, to live in response of what he will do and what he has done for us. So I'd like to read these prayers, and then um, you guys can start playing whenever you're ready, and, and I'll lead us in prayer. Um, before I do that, just, just before we finish this morning, Leah came up to me, and, and as we were sort of just waiting in the Lord's presence, was sharing that um, there's a real sense of... of God's presence and anointing um, here this morning and that it would be appropriate for us to respond and I think that's really true and I feel that same sense as we walk through the text this morning that it's appropriate for us to respond and, and Leah had this image of God's 
presence and his goodness and his life sort of pouring out like oil and that uh, we can come forward to receive just say lord fill me fresh um, it's a sense of like vessels being filled and so this morning i'm going to pray but as i pray and as we wait on god this morning if you say yes i feel i need to be filled afresh I need God to come and do a work in me. I need healing this morning, or I need to be reminded again to live for him, or whatever that might be going on in your life. I'm going to invite you to come and to receive this morning. And if you need prayer, that's wonderful. Let us know. But if you just need to come and, and sit in God's presence and let him fill you afresh, I encourage you to do that. So why don't we stand, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, and as we... Uh, sing together, I invite you to come and receive this morning. This is the prayer that really stood out to me by Sir Francis Drake. And it says, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. And as we enter into this is the beginning of Lent, as we think about the cross and head towards the cross each year, may we pray for our hearts to be disturbed in all the right ways, listening for the ways in which the Spirit is calling us to live in a new and courageous way for this time. So Jesus, we pray that you would come and disturb us in the places where we've been too well pleased with ourselves. Lord, that you would awaken dreams in us where we have failed to live in light of you. Lord, where we have put aside faith and hope and love because of our own fear and our own worries. Jesus, this morning we recognize that you are coming and it's good we want to live in light of that. But Lord, we need you to ongoing fill us up afresh by your spirit. And so this morning, Lord, we come with open arms to receive from you. As an act of obedience, we just say, come, Lord Jesus. And if there's something in your life that you need to give him this morning or an area of your life where you feel empty and need him to come and and refill, I invite you to, uh, to extend your arms, to open your palms almost as an act of, of saying, Lord, I received this morning, and, and pray, ask him to come and fill that place, Lord. Jesus, would you come this morning? <laughs> 